Today is like the Christians. You're like Pro Bowl, kind of. Um, if you know anything about the NFL and about Pro Bowl, you're, you're like, eh, yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. I almost called this like all-star Christians because um, the NFL is really the only sport that doesn't do it right. I don't understand Pro Bowl weekend. I don't want to watch NFL players play dodgeball or flag football. I want to watch them play football. Like, and that's what it used to be. It, the best of the best came together. They made teams from the AFC and the NFC, and they, they played a game, and it was like, it was fun to watch. It was usually high scoring. Um, some people didn't think it was fun to watch. Maybe it was injury prone, and that's why they changed it all. I don't know. Um, but I want to talk today about what it means to be like Pro Bowl Christians, the best, if the best in the kingdom of God. Uh, but we want to be careful, because if you remember, the disciples kind of got in trouble for this. Uh, and so we're going to look at that. But before we dive into that, I want to show you this picture. Voila. Oh, man, don't you just love these people? I love these people. This is my tribe. These are my people. Uh, I know that some of you maybe are newer, so you've not met our adult children. And so let me introduce them quick to you. All the way over on the left of the screen, that's our oldest, our son Kedrick. His wife, Maddie, is beside him, okay? And then there's me and Christy and Micaiah, which you maybe know. She hangs around us here sometimes, but she's really quiet, so maybe you don't recognize her uh, all that much. And then our daughter, our middle child, Madeline, and then her husband, Ben. And so this year we were in Pennsylvania, so we got to go to the Holy Land. We got to watch a game at PPG Paints Arena. My family, my kids, are all hockey fans on some level, and it's because... I'm a hockey fan, and I have, like, I have put that in them. Uh, to me, hockey's here. Everything else is here, like sports world. Um, I, I love football. Football's probably second. Uh, baseball and basketball, I could do without, and I know that you might love them, and it's great. Um, but they, they're my family. And so we all have this love for um, hockey. And as you can tell, we all have jerseys, sort of. Um, because all of my kids now have their own jerseys, but in order to make this happen, like they had to borrow jerseys from some of us, because I have three, Micaiah has two, and so we, we had to like, you know, let, and you know what, they're family, so they like, hey, just borrow our jersey, wear our jersey, and I, Ben is a trooper, if Ben's watching today, uh, Ben was so sick that day, and he was so hot, but he put the jersey on. I don't think he put the jersey on for himself. I think he put the jersey on for me um, because we wanted this picture and we didn't actually have seats that good. That was where we posed for the picture. Uh, we sat up a little higher because it was a little cheaper up there. And so we, but we had a great time. We enjoyed the game. They won. Um, and the reason I'm showing you my family picture is because Last week, as we talked about church and we talked about community, we talked about more purpose, being intentional. The body of Christ is a family. It's not just a metaphor. It's not supposed to just be a metaphor. It's supposed to be a family. We in the Western world have created this false dichotomy where we, are, we, we like separate God, family, and church. Uh, it, it, you just can't do that. Like, my relationship with God and my horizontal relationships with people cannot be separate. They are not separate. They're inseparable in the Scripture, and we're going to talk about that as we go through the day today. But neither can we separate family from church. And, you know, as a reaction, because I know, and I'm all, I understand like, you don't want to sacrifice your family on the altar of church. I get it. For a long time, people, like, did lots of stuff at church, and they neglected their family. And so the pendulum has swung to the other side where we're like, no, my family comes first, and then church comes second. Well, that's just a foreign concept in the Word of God because you just don't separate them. Like, the, the nation of Israel, the community, you, you, were, you were the community, like, you didn't neglect your family, but neither did you neglect the community. Like, they were so intertwined. And in our Western world, we're so individualized, we're so, like, on our own that we, we just don't get this concept. And what I hope we, we start understanding and start practicing is that the Scripture calls us to be brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. Like, this is what church is supposed to be. And I, I know it's going to be hard. It's, it's hard to sit next to a stranger which is what we are when we come to Christ, and, and, and feel like family. 
But I, I want you to look far off in the distance. And I want you to think, you know, this is where God wants us to go. He wants us to be family. So my kids, my, my spouse, my, my aunts and uncles, like, this is what God wants for the body of Christ. And we're not going to get there overnight. But am I actually moving towards it? One, do I believe it's even possible? And two, am I taking steps to move towards that? As I talked last week, I, I, I said, we don't need to add stuff to the calendar to make this happen. We just actually have to be intentional with what we've already got. Like, I've got to be intentional. When I come here for a worship gathering on Sunday morning, if there's people in the room I don't know, I've got to make it a point to try to get to know them. I've got to make it a point when we go to fellowship lunches or ladies' connection nights or men's coffee. And, you know, and it's like one time is not just going to make it happen. It's as we continue to do it week after week and month after month and year after year, intentionally trying to engage and connect and maybe send a text message throughout the week or a card on somebody's birthday. I mean, grandparents. Any grandparents in the room? Got some grandparents? Yeah. You know, grandkids. I was watching these videos this week, and I thought about putting one up there, but I'm like, I don't, want, I don't have time. But, like, these little kids would bypass grandma and run right to grandpa. It was like, grandma doesn't matter, grandpa. And it's just, they were so cute because grandma's like, what is going on? Like, because grandpas are the fun ones, right? The grandmas are the responsible ones. The grandpas are the fun ones. And, like, every kid in this church is your grandkid. Like, what if on their birthday they got a card from you? I mean, we have an online church directory if you put your information in it, and we have, like, a calendar out there that's got everybody's birthday. And how hard would it be to just say every kid that has a birthday in this church is getting a card from me? Because we're family. Like, see, you don't, you, we don't have to do these major things. We just have to start paying attention and actually saying, you know what, this is where we're going, so what do I need to do to start moving in that direction? Like, that's what we're talking about. And that's what the more, more purpose is all about. So as we go through this year, we're going to talk about this more. We're going to talk about more progress, more purpose, more presence. It's going to be what we do all year long. But today, again, Pro Bowl Christians. Pro Bowl Christians, here we go. I'm giving away a $5 gift card today to Scooters. Uh, I mean, it's like prize day here at Restoration Church. But if you are a James Valley Christian School student or staff member, you're disqualified. You'll find out in a second why. If you are in my inner circle and you know the answer to this question because I have told you that I was preparing this, you are disqualified. Everyone else in the room, here's a question that I want to start with and I want you to think about. Here's the question on the screen. What do you think is the most widely known and used verse in America. The most widely known and used verse in all of America. Just That's a great guess, and I've heard that one, but that's not what's in my head. You could be right, but you're not right. <laughs> what's that? Judge not, lest ye be judged. So there you go, Bob. Way to pay attention and be knowing your Bible down there. In fact, here we go. Put it up on the screen, the next one. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 says in the NIV, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. And that's not usually how we hear it. We usually only hear the first part, don't we? Do not judge. Do not judge. Don't judge me. And when people say that, what they're talking about is, you can't tell me what I'm doing is wrong. Like, who are you to judge? So let's look at Matthew chapter 7, a little bit more context. So we're going to broaden it out a little bit and really find out what it, what's, what's being said here. Is this what Jesus is saying? That we can't, like, say that someone's actions are wrong or not wrong. What's, what's going on? So Matthew chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read a little bit more of it. And we're going to stop, talk through it, excuse me, as we go. Number one, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So let's stop. For clarification's sake, it, Jesus isn't saying you can't judge. What he's saying is how you judge matters. There's a standard of judgment. You can either judge someone's actions or you can judge their motives. 
You can make a character assessment of someone, or you can focus on the behavior of a person that needs to change. And so however you choose to do it, that's how it's going to be applied to you. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not so good and perfect. So, like, I want lots of grace and mercy. So maybe I need to judge others in a way that's going to get that for me, and I need to give it to others. And here's the reality. I've already been given it greater than I even realize. And so have you. So we have to start asking the question, how do I want to be judged or how do I want to be corrected? Would I want to be given the benefit of the doubt or would I want people to just assume that I'm a malicious person who did that thing on purpose? How do I want to be judged? Let's look at verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I want you to know, like, this, this speck of sawdust and this um, log are made of the exact same material. Do you, you catching that analogy? So, like, one's just a little bit bigger or a lot bigger than the other. Um, what we don't know is the speck of sawdust that I'm seeing in someone's eye, um, which actually I think is a log, and I think I have the speck, but Jesus says, no, not, that's not really it. It's the reverse. You have the log, they have the speck. But is he talking about sin? Is he talking about a mistake? Is he talking about error? It's very vague. We don't necessarily know exactly whether this is a sinful thing or maybe just something um, that's just maybe hurt you and is a personal thing that you need to go to someone and you need to correct. One thing, one way or another, we have to, to think about anytime there's a rift in a relationship or anytime there's something that I think needs to be pointed out in someone else, I need to think about how I did it. In our culture today, the gloves have come off. Like, we no longer care, like, about decorum. Like, we mock, we belittle, we put other people down, we've got phrases for it, like, you only had one job. I mean, when people make mistakes, like, as if you don't, we, do, we use the phrase, you only had one job. As if to say, you're an idiot, like, anybody could do that. I certainly could do it better than you. That's what that phrase means, okay, in our culture. And so this is how we've, we've just kind of arrogantly started judging one another. And we have to be careful about how we do it. We do not want to belittle other people. Because when we belittle other people, what in essence we're saying is, I'm not that stupid. I'm not that person. I mean, and we start thinking that we have more common sense than them. We have a better work ethic than then. But what Jesus is saying is, everything you have is by the grace of God. So if you think you're better than someone, uh, stop and recognize you are, you see what you see because of what God has done in your life, not because you're smarter than other people. Does that, that, make, that make sense? You're like, well, does Jesus say that in that passage? Well, that's what the scripture teaches us. We, no matter how self-aware you and I are, we, we don't actually see all of our flaws. We don't. Like, I could every day, like, be very introspective and, like, try to, like, have people tell me, hey, what flaws do I have in my life? And I could do this whole process every single day, and I would still have a log in my eye. God does not treat me the way he treats me because I deserve it, because I've taken care of all of the logs in my eye. He's merciful and gracious every single day. Treats me far better than I ever deserve. And when I start to lose sight of that, I start to treat other people as if, you know, I deserve it, but they don't. And when we keep in perspective that I don't deserve it, we're going to be a lot more gracious. So it doesn't mean that you have to work out all your stuff before you ever correct anybody or we never correct anybody because we never get all our stuff worked out. But what Jesus is saying is make sure you, you come from a place where you recognize you're a flawed person. And what you think you might even be seeing needs clarification. So don't go into that conversation pointing out all the error. Go into that conversation investigating. Hey, what am, what, help me understand what's going on here. 
Because what I'm seeing is this, but I want to make sure that's what's going on. See, see how you approach that situation a lot differently? Because God doesn't demand perfection. God wants progress. Progress. Okay? So then, let's go to the next verse. Last one we'll read from this chapter. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, dogs and pigs in the scripture, this sounds terrible, but refers to Gentiles. I promise you, we don't have time to go into it. Um, it's not like as derogatory as it sounds, okay? In our culture, if you called someone a dog or a pig, that's very derogatory. Um, not so much in this culture. But what Jesus is saying is, as Jews, don't expect Gentiles to live like Jews, so in our culture today, don't expect people that don't have the Spirit of God to act like they do. Like we love in the church world to preach morality as if everybody out there is on the same page. And then we don't understand why they don't see it. I mean, they've been taken captive by the God of this age and blinded. Remind yourself of that. So don't treat them like a moron. Don't belittle them and think, oh, yeah, you idiots like you think you're a tree like you identify as a tree like how stupid can you be but for the grace of God you and I would be that stupid does that make sense like we have to be careful that we do not belittle and mock other people made in the image of God that's not going to bring anyone into the kingdom so pro bowl like what what what, what pastor Tom like huh James chapter 3 verse 2 right here we all stumble in many ways Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. See, the best of the best in the Christian world are those that are getting a rein on their tongue. Now, are we ever going to do it perfect? <sighs> probably not. Like, I hate to be like the, the guy that says, probably not. Can we make progress every day? Every single day. We can make progress in this. And if we aren't intentional with thinking about the things that come out of our mouth or go on our social media, if we're not intentional with it, we're going to go with the flow of the culture. And here's the thing. You're going to be able to justify You'll find a scripture verse. Everybody always does. You can find a scripture passage, paste it on whatever you want to say or do, and you're going to justify it. It's, it's not hard. But are you twisting it to give you what you want? which is to belittle and mock the people you're talking about. See, I've been, I've been digging into this idea of relationships for, for a number of years because I think it's inseparable. I think my relationship with God is inseparable from how I treat other human beings. I think that's what the Scripture teaches. So in the Scripture, the words gossip and slander sometimes seem like they're used interchangeably. In my understanding, the word gossip in the Scripture is spreading false information about someone. When you spread something that's not true or when you slant something, that's gossip, okay? When you, to slander someone is just to injure their reputation. So what you might be saying could be factual. But if you're doing it and you're actually injuring another person's reputation, that's slander, period. And it has no place in our lives as in the body of Christ. And yet, if we're honest, we do it all the time. It's so easy to get sucked into this world because it, it's our culture. I mean, I'm going to tell you, this is the, one of the most challenging messages. I preached it at James Valley. That's why I disqualify the James Valley people. Um, in chapel, I'm going to do elementary chapel and do a version of this, obviously, on a, a, hopefully on a much more childlike manner. Um, but this is so key in the body of Christ. And I think it's key because, I, as I said, they're inseparable. What do I mean by that? In Jesus' day there was a debate about the, the, the commandments. Because if you, if you try to obey 613 commands, eventually they're going to overlap. And you're going to have to choose. Well, like, I can't obey both of these. Which one is greater? Like, I, I have to prioritize so that I know when something intersects, like when my donkey falls in a pit on the Sabbath, am I allowed to get him out? I mean, do I have to worry about, like, or if my neighbor needs help on the Sabbath, am I allowed to break the Sabbath to help my neighbor? Like, these are what we're wrestling with. And so everybody agreed 
The greatest commandment was love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It was the Shema. They said it every day. Uh, Deuteronomy 6.4. They said the prayer every single day. No one debated it. It was the, the number one command. Boom. Where they started to disagree was number two. <laughs> wow, we didn't get very far, did we? Um, some thought it was keep the Sabbath. And keep the Sabbath is not about legalistic take a day off. Keep the Sabbath is about um, posturing your heart in a trusting way to God. Like you Sabbath because you say God's my provider. And so if you don't Sabbath, you're not recognizing God provides for you. You think you provide for you. So it, it gets everything out of kilter. So that's why they thought, and they have reasons, like language reasons in the Hebrew Scriptures, that they thought those two commands were linked. There was another group that thought the second greatest commandment was love your neighbor. So when they come to Jesus and say, hey, what, what's the greatest command? This, he, they're saying, Jesus... Are you a Democrat or a Republican? That's what they're asking him. Yeah. Like in our day and age, this is what we do. We, we have Republican Christians. That the, the, the only thing that matters is abortion and homosexuality. Like that's, that's what I, I have to vote for these issues. And so I'm always going to vote Republican. There are, whether you believe it or not, Democratic Christians that actually, I actually know some personally. And they believe that these issues like the poor and the foreigner and other issues, now whether the full Democratic platform or the full Republican platform supports either one, and this is what we do. We debate in Christian circles. And of course, all of us think we're right and everyone else is wrong. In, the, in a very similar way, this is what's happening in this culture. Jesus and his disciples are engaged in this debate with everyone else. What's the greatest commandment? How do we walk? How do we take your word and walk it out in our daily lives? And now among those two camps, there's still further disagreement. So like under the Republican Party, so there's people that love Trump and there's people that hate Trump and they're all Republicans. Wow. So in Jesus' day, even among these people that love your neighbors, the second greatest commandment, well, who's my neighbor? I mean, maybe that just means like fellow Jews. Or does that mean like everybody? So if we go to Leviticus 19, we're not going to go there, but you could read that chapter. It's all about relationships. And in the middle of it, it says don't spread slanderous gossip in Leviticus 19. And it talks about how to treat the foreigner. It talks about how to treat those that are non-Israelites. And it doesn't say close your borders, by the way. Just, you know, saying that. So how do we treat these people that come into the land of Israel? God says, treat them like you would a native-born person. Why? Because you were once slaves and you were once foreigners in Egypt. Remember. Remember who you were. Remember that everyone that's not a Native American is actually a foreigner here in our nation. That's what God's saying to them. Now, that's not a, that's not a political statement about border security or anything. Not going to delve into that. But you see, the, this is a political statement Jesus is making in this culture. It ties over into our cultures. We all try to use this book to know how to vote. We all try to use this book to decide what, what, what policies, what things are most important. And here's the thing. It's okay to disagree. It's really okay to disagree. Be careful how you disagree is what Jesus is driving at. So Jesus leans on the side where love your neighbors, the second greatest commandment. And then he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, which I love. Because not only does Jesus say, love your neighbor means everybody. Gentile, Jew. He picks the worst Gentile imaginable and uses them as the moral of the story. So like your neighbor is whoever you don't want it to be. Love them. Boom. Mic drop for Jesus. So then, in the, the New Testament writings, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 13 and Galatians chapter 5 doesn't just say that the law is summed up in two great commands. They say the law is summed up in only one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. What? How can the law be summed up in one command? Because you cannot love God with all your heart if you're not loving your neighbor as who is like you. James chapter 2 verse 8 says the royal law found in Scripture is to love your neighbor as yourself. This is why I believe they're inseparable. The concept of, for the Jew was to not just love your neighbor as you love yourself, but love your neighbor who is like yourself. 
Meaning, I love my neighbor because my neighbor, whether they're Jew or Gentile, whether they're Christian or non-Christian, whether they're sinner or saint, does not matter. We both are more like each other than either of us is like God. What? I'm not like a sinner. Apart from Jesus, you are. Like, except for the grace of God, we are exactly like them. And so we have to keep this in mind as we judge one another. This is what Jesus is driving at. In James chapter 3, this one's on the screen, James chapter 3. Speaking about our tongue still, James says, with our tongue, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people made in God's image. From the, the same mouth come blessing and cursing. These things should not be so. James doesn't say, hey, if you've got a, a little extra time this week, you know, maybe work on this. James says this should not be. And it's not like now we, okay, I have to, I have to be careful about my words. I have to, it's not about trying to get a rein on my tongue. It's about recognizing something is off in my heart. I don't recognize how I have been treated. I don't recognize that no matter how self-reflective I've been, I still have a log in my own eye. I will never get to the place where I'm perfect. I will be progressing, but when I deal with someone else, I can never put them beneath me. We are always on the same plane. And in fact, Jesus says, actually, they're above you. <laughs> Think of it that way. So that you don't judge them in a way that belittles or mocks or curses those people. Be careful getting sucked into the culture around us, the culture of belittling and mocking. We've taken the gloves off. We used to honor, uh, when I was a kid, I mean, people disagreed politically, but there was a level of respect and honor that is no longer present in our culture. We do not respect our kids' teachers. We do not respect our kids' coaches. We do not respect politicians and leaders and bosses. The gloves have come off. We mock, we belittle, we talk about people, we slander them. It's crazy. And we do it in the church. We do it in the church. And it should not be. And what I hope happens today is something resonates in your heart that says, this should not be. And we get on a path where we get to the place, just like the preferred future, where this is no longer a part of my life. I'm going to put a picture on the screen that wasn't on anyone's social media in our church, I don't believe. The, with the USA so divided, I'm just glad to be on the side that believes in God, has the most guns, and knows which restroom to use. I don't know what God that is, but it's not this one. Because it mocks and belittles people who have been blinded by the God of this age. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. It should not be. You can have your opinion about all of these things. But how we handle it absolutely matters. It absolutely matters. In our culture, if I have a bad experience at a restaurant, you can go ahead and put the scripture back up. Thank you. If I have a bad experience at a restaurant, I mean, culturally, I'm, I should tell everyone. I should put a review out there because obviously I didn't just have a bad experience. It's a bad restaurant. I mean, bad waitress, bad cashier, bad person in my business. Like, I mean, we have an entire culture built around this, the phrase that I said, earlier about, you know, you only had one job. Am I saying you should never make a review? No, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I, don't take my words and be all legalistic on it. And like, what I'm hoping we understand is we don't need to get sucked into the culture. I don't necessarily have to give a bad review. I can like give the benefit of the doubt. I can just think maybe like as human beings, they just made a mistake or they're maybe not as perfect as I think I am. I mean, because we all think I'd be a better quarterback, I'd be a better coach, I'd be a better waiter, waitress, I'd be a better chef, I'd be a better whatever. I mean, we, we have all of these words. I mean, we, we love to talk about Karen. 
And if you're named Karen, I am, a, I am sorry. I don't understand why our culture has developed a whole phraseology that mocks the, a person that we think is beneath us. Like, th- stop and think about what we're doing. James chapter 1, here's my hope. Understand this, brothers, sisters. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. And every time we get angry, we think our anger is justified. Well, just be slow with it. Is there ever a time to correct someone? Yes. Is there ever a time to, to maybe to stand up and say that something that's untrue is, is true? Yes, there is. What I'm saying is we need to start wrestling with the, to making sure that we're doing it in a way that actually sets people free and not drives a greater wedge between us. We want people to access the kingdom. There are two paths, I think, for correction in the scripture. And the first one we find in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is our advocate. When you, when you sin this week, I know some people are like, oh, don't say when, Pastor. You know, uh, let's just be realistic. It's bound to happen. When you fall short this week, right before the Father is Jesus Christ helping, comforting, pleading your case. Pleading your case. He stands there with the blood that he shed for you, pleading your case. Now there's someone else in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, known as the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night. I mean, I love how everyone's always like, Satan is running all over the world. Well, Revelation 12, 10 kind of tells us he's standing right in front of God, accusing everyone day and night. Now, is he or is he not? I don't know, but here's what I do know. He's an accuser. He is an accuser. An accuser is someone who imputes guilt or blame on another. So an advocate is someone who pleads another's case, and the accuser is one who imputes guilt or blame. So when I correct someone, Am I doing it more like an advocate or more like an accuser? That's the question that I always have to keep in mind. Because here's what I have found. Jesus is not afraid to come to me and tell me when I need an attitude adjustment. He's not. So advocate doesn't mean ignore my behavior. Advocate doesn't mean pretend that I don't have anything wrong in my life. But advocate pleads my case. He does it in a way that's going to lead me to life and not death. So we have to determine how how do we advocate and how do we accuse. And, you know, it's going to take a lifetime for us to figure this out. I can't really give a list and be like, here's how you do it. Here's what I know. Advocating is hard. Advocating is hard. And advocating will get us accused of um, ignoring sin, being too nice, like all of these things. This is what's going to happen. And I know that because this is exactly what happened to Jesus. Jesus advocated for everyone. He sat at tables with tax collectors. He let prostitutes put oil on his feet. Like, and they accused him. They accused him of being soft on sin. <laughs> Oddly, they accused him. So it doesn't always look like it seems. But Matthew chapter 12, I tell you, Jesus says... Everyone will give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Here's what I believe. All of us need to be far more intentional about making sure the words we're using, the posts we're making, are actually coming from an advocate view and not an accusing view. We can't do it if we're not being intentional because the culture around us will suck us in. It, w- it just will. It's where we live today, okay? 
I want to show you a video that I need to explain before I show it. Uh, it's a hockey video. Well, of course it is. It's a delayed penalty. Does every, you don't know what a delayed penalty, penalty is, some of you. So it's a game between Pittsburgh, my beloved Penguins, and the Arizona Coyotes, which Arizona, like they're, yeah. Anyway, so if, so Arizona has committed a penalty. So the referee puts his arm up. This is called a delayed penalty, meaning that Pittsburgh has the puck. And so the moment that any Arizona player touches the puck or it touches them at all, play stops, and Pittsburgh is going to get what's called a power play. So they get to have five players on the ice versus four players for Arizona. And they get to do this for two minutes. A delayed penalty just gives you a little extra time. You still have the puck. So here's what you do. You pull your goalie. You bring a sixth guy out, so you play six on five. Because the minute, the minute Arizona touches the puck, play stops. So there's no danger of scoring. So you do it. Let's watch the video. Sound, sorry. Can we start the video? They're just trying to kill as much time off. It went in! So they got Crosby back on. So they got Crosby back on the ice. Latang's got it, and he'll bring it along and into delayed penalty. Well, this is big for the Penguins. They're just trying to kill as much time off. It went in! Oh my goodness! Wait, you'll see it in slow motion. Great. The goalie pulled. Latang has it. He goes back to Malkin. And Malkin can't handle this back pass. It goes off the blade and into the back of the net. And whoever touched this puck last for the Coyotes is going to get the goal. That is incredible. I certainly have never seen that before. Well, I've watched hockey since 1990, and I have never seen that before either. Never seen it before. Like, it just... And, of course, the moment it happened... My response was, you only had one job. No joke. That's literally what I said. I was so livid. I'm like, are you kidding me? Because here's the thing. You're an NHL player. Passing. Receiving a pass. You do this thousands of times. You cannot be lazy if you're doing a... It's not that doing a back pass in front of your own net is a problem. You can do that. But you better get your head in the game. You have to be intentional with your pass... You, you have to, this is the problem with the Penguins this year. They're just not intentional enough. Come on, people. So why do I show us that video? Because if we're not intentional with our words, we may land it, we may, bam, and the horn may sound, but you might be scoring for the wrong team. Yeah. And so what I hope starts to happen is like a horn like that just goes off on the inside of us. And is like, are you accusing right now or are you advocating? Oh. Man, I have been working on this sermon, by the way, for like three months. And I have become painfully aware at how terrible I am at this. And how easy it is to just get sucked into the accusing voice. And you might, well, it's, it's not a big deal. I think it's a big deal, and I'll tell you why in just a second. But I want to look at a couple scriptures. One comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Do not let any, any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So if we're not, we're grieving the Spirit if we choose to do things if, in the accusing way. It's not benefiting those who listen. It's not helping those who maybe do need to be corrected, but need to be corrected in a helpful manner, not in an accusatory manner. Then he goes on and says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Instead, be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Remember, you're walking around with a big log in your eye. And God has forgiven you. 
Jesus is advocating for you. Keep it in mind. If we're going to correct other people, we ought to be doing this verse 32 on a regular basis beforehand. Being kind, compassionate, forgiving, blessing. Like if you, if you never have a conversation with someone and the first thing you do is walk up to them and try to have a conversation to correct them, <laughs> that is not going well. Like if you and your spouse haven't really talked all week long and you're like, the first thing you want to do is talk about how they're doing something that's hurting you or bothering you, that's not going to go well. If you're not daily like filling the tank with positive comments and blessings, your conflict resolution is just going to plain out stink and fail. It's just, it is. Like we have to be more proactive about blessing so that when it comes time to correct, we can do it. James chapter 4, here it is. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? <laughs> Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Well, Pastor Tom, he's just talking to that one church right there. The quarrels and fights in our church are not because of our selfishness. Well, actually, James is talking to all of the Jews in this area. And so I think this would apply to all of us. Quarrels and fights many times just come from the selfishness within us, our jealousy. Be slow. If you're, if you're angry about something, be slow and make sure that that's really righteous anger and not just selfish anger, not just your perspective anger. You don't have, he says in the end of verse 2, because you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are wrong and you only want what gives you pleasure. You know, in our culture, it's, we, I just needed to vent. I just needed to let off steam. I'm not going to tell you that there's never a time to vent and let off steam. In fact, I posted a couple of comments on Facebook um, about this as I was just preparing this maybe a month ago. And I had a friend reach out and he said, uh, hey, I'd love to talk to you about your Facebook post. And I had a humorous one that day too. So I joked and said, you mean this one, right? He's like, no. Um, he said, I laid in bed last night for hours just running that over in my mind. Like this concept of not talking about people behind the back, not just venting. And he's like, man, I can't come home to my wife and vent about my boss. I'm like, I, I'm not saying that. He's like, well, I really don't think I'm supposed to. <laughs> I'm like, well, then you have to, you're talking to the wrong person, okay? Like, I'm not saying there's never a time to vent, but we're, how do we do it? Let me put these up. I have four practical tips. How do we do it? Think about these things. One, think about the person you're about to talk about, vent about, whatever. Okay? Will that person benefit from it? So my conversation with him was, hey, is your boss a Christian? Well, no, they're not a Christian. All right. So maybe after venting to your wife, you and your wife need to pray for the salvation of his soul. Maybe your venting needs to be covered in in the idea of grace and God giving you an open door and knowing when to stand up and when to just keep your mouth shut. Because sometimes as an advocate, you just need to keep your mouth shut. And sometimes you just need to take one for the team. And sometimes you just need to overlook a sin. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Love doesn't cover over every sin, but it covers over a multitude of them. You understand? There's a time to do it and a time not. But you need to ask yourself, hey, is the person that I'm about to rant about or complain about or talk about, are they going to benefit from this conversation? Great question. Number two question. The person I'm talking to. Is the person I'm venting to or talking to going to benefit from this or are they actually going to be harmed by this? that it benefits those who listen? Like, is that person going to have their view of this other person forever changed? Are they going to be able to interact with that person in a, in a neutral way because of what I'm about to share? And maybe if, I, they are, if they're going to be harmed, if they're a new believer, ugh, maybe, maybe I shouldn't do this one. Maybe I should find someone else to hash this out with. That's a great, I, I know you're just loving this message today. I'm, I love it too. Me, think about me, myself, yourself. If this was about me, how would I want it handled? 
How would I want two people to approach me about something I'm doing wrong? I should do the same. I should do the same. And it's easy to justify. Oh, I would just want people to tell me. Nah, I doubt it. And then, think about Jesus. If Jesus jumped into this conversation, what would he say? Imagine Jesus and his disciples, a long day, gathered around the fire. They're tired. Busy day of ministry. Fed the 5,000. They're talking, sharing stories from the day. And Jesus says, hey, guys, did you... Did you catch that Karen? Oh, man, like, what, what an idiot. Like, who, did you catch her? Like, psh, stupid lady. If you can imagine that coming out of the mouth of Jesus, feel free to keep using it. Just feel free. Why is it so important? Like, why do I think, I, because, I, because I think that on judgment day, you're not going to make it into heaven. If, no, that, that's not why. Here's, this is, The biggest reason right here that I think this matters, John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. Jesus is praying, and he prays in the garden for you and I. This is what he prays. My prayer is not for them, my disciples alone. I pray for all of those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. I hear a lot of people in our day saying that the world is so bad because the Bible said it's going to get worse and worse. And that may be the case. But Jesus said that the world would believe that he came from the Father because of the way we love one another in John chapter 13. And he said here, as we learn how to walk in unity, by the way, unity is not uniformity. Unity is the ability to love others even when we disagree. Unity is the ability to embrace the idea that my perspective or my beliefs are not 100% right and that someone else might actually be right on this point right here. Unity does not gossip or slander or mock or put down or label others. Unity lays its life down in the same way that Jesus did. Unity advocates. Maybe the world is in the condition that it is, blind to the Messiah, because we refuse to get this right. That's why I think it's so important. And if we, we don't have to wait to get it right. All we have to do is start moving in that direction. All we have to say is, God, this can't be. I cannot live like an accuser. I need to be an advocate. And I can't do this without you. And so I need your spirit to start setting off alarms inside of me. I need you to help me understand. I need to be a little more aware of the fact that even when you're blessing me, I have a log in my eye. That I, I, I may be progressing and I may be working out my salvation, but I have not yet arrived. And I, every day of my life, get so much grace and so much mercy from you, so much more than I even realize. And the moment we start doing that, I believe God enters the picture and does what we cannot do. So it's not like we have to wait 500 years. I think if the church would just latch onto this and live with repentant humility, that the world would start to take notice that Jesus is who he says he is. That's what I believe. You don't have to agree with me. But wrestle with it. Are we going to be perfect? No. But let's do better. Let's do better. And so, Father, man, I thank you that today, with a beam in my eye, Jesus stands as my advocate. Holy Spirit, thank you for all of the ways throughout my life that you have corrected me challenged me, shown me the error of my ways, molded me, shaped me, even rebuked me. Help me not to just give in to the culture around us. Help me to live like an advocate. Help me to be willing to cover over a multitude of sins 
but also help me be willing to correct when correction's needed. But help me be the kind of person that looks for ways to bless, not just ways to curse. Help me to be the type of person that looks for ways to build others up, even when it's a word that's hard to hear. Father, my prayer for me and for Restoration Church is that we would be so unified as a body, (laughs) not all thinking the same, not even voting the same, but God, so unified that people in this community begin to take notice and begin to see you because of how we handle correction, because of how we handle disagreements. God, help us to shine like stars in this community. So, Father, this is a, this is a big one. This is a hard one. We can't do it without your help. So, Holy Spirit, I pray, set off alarms all week long in each and every one of our lives. If that's your desire, just vocalize it right now to him. Say, yeah, Holy Spirit, set off some alarms in my life this week. Help me, teach me to be an advocate not an accuser. Show us how to do it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. That's a strong word, isn't it? It is. And the the nice thing is, is there's not a person in this room, there's not a person watching online that's not guilty. Like every single one of us, this is something that we just have to be aware of and say, Holy Spirit, I need your help. And so as you go through this week, maybe I'll send, if I could send sounds as text messages, I would sound like a hockey horn every once in a while this week, just as a reminder, like, by the way, they do make the ringtone that you can download that's a hockey horn. It's on my phone too. Um, So as text message goes off, you can just set it as your ringtone for a little bit. And that'll help you remember every time your phone rings, hey, be an advocate today, not an accuser. Uh, maybe that, if it happens accidentally, that would be the Holy Spirit. But, all right, before we go, I got to give away a shirt. Where's my, where's my drawer? My drawer, where are you, drawer? Oh, you have my prize? Who's, who's my winner? Whoa! Oh, my goodness. Look, look at how good we are here at Restoration Church. Justin Olson! Yay! All right, make sure you grab your shirt before you leave. And um, tomorrow, if, if you're like, oh, I'm so sad I lost, I'm going to have a used shirt available um, that I could give you. <laughs> and so if you're like, hey, I really wanted that shirt, see me after service and we can make that happen. Stop by the table before you leave today. The offering baskets are out there. Calendars are out there in case you want to send some birthday cards. And then make sure you grab your 40 days of decrease. Thanks for being here. God bless you as you go.